Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Save the Nation on ADH-TV. I'm David Flint, and my guest today is uh, Keith Winshuttle. Keith Winshuttle is the very distinguished editor, general editor of the magazine Quadrant, probably the nation's leading intellectual magazine. He's also an historian and uh, a social commentator. He's taught in Australian universities and in 10 American universities. He's very well qualified in the area of the voice referendum. And I would suggest that anybody who is interested in the questions concerning the voice referendum should really look at this book. It's the breakup of Australia. It is really the authoritative book on Aboriginal constitutional recognition. It's something I would strongly recommend. So welcome, Keith. And I might begin by drawing your attention to what you said, what you say in the book were some myths. And in fact, uh, in the text of the book, you give 15 myths, but there were two particularly I wanted to draw your attention to. You say that the British colonization of Australia was illegitimate illegitimate under international law. That's a myth. And there's the, another myth that was, that was that Australia was invaded rather than settled. Those are really the big myths which relate to both recognition and also the voice. Now, Keith, would you like to speak generally to that proposition that those things, those things that Australia was, was uh, not settled, it was invaded? Yeah, well, um, David, it, it all goes back to the concept of frontier wars, which is now uh, totally entrenched in the mind of all Aboriginal activists and, in fact, a large part of the Aboriginal population. Um, the, uh, the idea that um, uh, the Aborigines put up a, a fight wherever the whites emerged uh, is just simply untrue. And there's plenty of evidence if you look at the, um, at the people, the white people who were um, in contact with them at the time when, um, when settlements spread throughout Australia. And, uh, and there are, some of those people were alive, well, they're not alive now, but they were, they were alive until quite recently. And, um, and they, they um, were people who did field work uh, for, uh, under anthrop anthropological conditions um, for months and in some cases years uh, amongst Aboriginal people. And they found that um, they, the Aborigines were not hostile towards um, um, the, the white, uh, white settlement and white so-called encroachment on their territories. They welcomed them and, um, and um, they were pleased in particular because the whites had a, a, um, a, a permanent supply of food and the seasonal um, well, starvation in, in many cases, including Sydney Harbour, that um, Aborigines went through because of, um, in Sydney Harbour's case, the, the fish um, don't, don't, uh, don't run in, uh, in the harbour in between May and September. And, um, and so the Aborigines can't uh, survive uh, on that diet. Um, the, 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 they were very pleased to have uh, three meals a day and, and, um, and full seasonal food supply, which the whites provided. And the Aborigines came into white society 
partly to get that, um, that process, but also because there were s several elements in Aboriginal society itself that were very unhappy about the way it was run. And, uh, and the main one were young men who had to wait until middle age or even old age before they could have a wife because the, the, um, the gerontology that ran, ran uh, Aboriginal society, the old elders, they kept all the young women for themselves as their wives, and they were, and, and you know, to break that rule in, in some tribes were um, was a, a death penalty was was the result. So young men and and the women, young women who fancied them in, in Aboriginal society, um, were pleased when they found that uh, the missions and welfare camps that, that they were offered did not uh, adhere to those kind of. Um, restrictions and that um, young men could elope with their, um, their, their favourite girlfriends, uh, which uh, under the old system uh, meant that they would be, be, you know, could suffer a death penalty as a, as a result, as a sort of reward for their efforts. Um, so the, the attractions of white society were um, overwhelming and, um, and it, uh, the, the, uh, the, the main um, the main anthropologist who argued this is Bill Stanner, who, who in fact is, is not only a hero uh, in, in my terms, but also the, the left admire much of, uh, of the work that he's done in, um, in, on Aboriginal society, um, and, which he did in the 1930s and the 1950s. And he was there, he lived through the change and has wrote about the change from traditional society into, into, into um, the, the colonial acceptance by, of, by, of Aboriginal people. So um, uh, there's also, um, there are other people, um, Annette Hamilton, who was a professor of anthropology at UNSW when I was there, she, um, she did. Um, uh, she uh, wrote about the change of um, people in the Everard Ranges, which is um, probably smack in the middle of, of of the Australian continent, and was probably the last place where Aborigines came into white society. But she said they did it because of the food supply. That was that um, there was a guaranteed food supply from white society. It was strange food that they took a while to get used to. Uh, um, but nonetheless, they uh, they did. And and if you go back to the original anthropologists, uh, there were some good anthropologists, not called that at the time, but uh, with the first fleet. Uh, and there were people who um, David Collins, um, um, John White, the, the the surgeon, and um, and uh, uh, Tench. Um, I've forgotten his first name. Um, Watkins Tench. They um, wrote, they were very keen to write up um, the. The, um, the sort of fine details of uh, Aboriginal society and the relations between whites and, and blacks as they, as they merged in, in, in a new society. And uh, the Aborigines came into Sydney Cove very soon uh, after the, the whites arrived. They, uh, um, by, the, by the 1890s, Bennelong had established himself as, um, as um, the, the sort of the main leader. He, he, was, he was a young man um, and he had um, uh, much grievances with the the um, the two um, older um, groups in, in that were in the um, in the Sydney Harbour region, and um, he his strategy was to join with the whites uh, and then make himself the sort of big man uh, uh, in Aboriginal society. It, it wasn't that he was so. Um, he didn't want to become a white man, he wanted to become the leader of the blacks. And he could see that the way to do that was to um, become um, uh, the go-to man for Aboriginal society who wanted to deal with, with, um, with the, the white, principally the white supply of food. And uh, he did that and he had a, a, a hut on Ben Long Point, which uh, you know, everybody knows is now the Sydney Opera House. And um, um, that, there was no... Um, there was no shootouts or, or um, defensive territory. Um, people, um, Aboriginal people came in from Aboriginal territory to live with the whites in order to get a regular supply of food and to get a different kind of, um, uh, uh, not religion, different kind of cultural background to the one they had, which, which um, they found more pleasant. Um, they liked the freedom, they liked the um, lack of the lack of um, punitive um, relations, certainly the men did anyway, um, that, that the old um, gerontology society um, it had, had insisted upon. So um, 
the the main story that um, that that the whole demand for um, for constitutional change and for a reversion to Aboriginal traditions and cultures and and um, you know welcome to country and all that sort of stuff uh, that um, that's that's something that um, is it's a myth it's been invented by um, a, a bunch of academics who've made a, who've made a, now a lifelong career out of this. Uh, it never really happened that way if you go back and look at the original records. Yes, if I could come in on this point, uh, you make the important point that at the time that the British came to Australia in 1788, the British were meticulous observers of international law. And under international law, a power like the British or any other dominant power, could take territory, they could either conquer it or they could settle it. They, they would conquer it if there was an existing advanced civilization there. And the law was that only the law of the colonizing power necessary to the extent of the conduct of that territory would continue. The old law would continue alongside British law, which is the practice in colonies, for example, in, uh, in uh, India. The Indian colonies, for example, maintained their legal systems. The British brought a little bit of their law in, but they didn't change things fundamentally. But where they came to an area which did not have a state, there was no government there as such, there was no legal system which they could recognize, nobody they could really seriously deal with for a large area, they, they would settle that area. Uh, they didn't have the idea of terra nullius, which was introduced later, it's a, essentially in, the, in, in international law, it's a 20th century term. Yeah. The British never talked about terra nullius. But when you settled a place and you came in and you were accepted, you brought your law with you and your law took over the whole area and everybody there became a subject, like the white people, they became a subject of the British. They all became British subjects. Yeah. That essentially is what you're saying, is it not? Oh, that, well, that's certainly true and certainly true in, in, legal, in a legal sense. Um, the, the British did not find nations, that, like international law said that to be a sovereign power in a, in a territory, you have to have the, the qualities of a nation. You have to have a, a central power, you have to have a, a established legal system and a, whole, and a whole range of other things. Uh, and the, um, the English said, well, we've, we've looked at the Aboriginal tribes, they, they don't have leaders, they don't have, um, they don't have any laws that we can understand. Um, they did have some sort of religion and, and and the, and the um, first leaders went to a great extent to try and work out from their culture, from their dances, from the, the conversations that they had with people about, about the nature of their religion. But, um, but after, uh, I think, 48 years of settlement, they, uh, when, when there was, uh, the New South Wales Supreme Court finally declared the point that you're making, that, uh, that, um, that, um, Australia, that New South Wales was settled rather than invaded, uh, and rather than conquered, um, that um, that that was a judgment by the New South Wales Supreme Court, um, which um, had, was preceded by 48 years of studying Aboriginal society um, and deciding that they did not have a na nation status. And by then, um, the, the the New South Wales Supreme Court had no reason to. Um, to sort of fudge its its um, its, its uh, decisions um, to uh, suit the British, uh, because uh, conquest um, and the recognition of Aboriginal laws would have been a, a quite convenient way had the Aborigines been hostile and um, and uh, violent towards the whites, but th but they weren't, and um, and they didn't have any any reason like unlike in New Zealand where the the Maoris formed. Um, 
you know, formed uh, real warfare and, and had armies. The Aborigines never had armies. They had a few isolated people. In fact, most of the, <laughs> most of the um, violence that did occur from Aborigines to, to white society was Aborigines who were out of the loop, who were, who were not accepted within white society because they were uh, distant and no one really knew they existed. But they wanted what the white people had. They wanted to get a regular food supply. They wanted to get hatchets. Um, to make um, you know cutting down cutting branches off trees and things more uh, more simple, um, they wanted what the whites had, and um, and and uh, if they couldn't get that by um, by uh, reasons of their of their um, permanent association with the whites, which which the majority of Aborigines originally did, um, then the outsiders would um, in some cases resort, resort to violence and, uh, and steal um, stuff from, from, uh, from the whites and, uh, and from white homesteads, not from, not from governments or anything. Um, so um, the, 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 uh, the only violence that did occur was not because the Aborigines uh, uh, on the outside of the society wanted to, the whites to leave, um, which is what the uh, academic historians have told us now for the past 30, 40 years. The Aborigines were upset about losing their territory. The, the, um, the, the, the violence was simply to get at the, at the products that the white society offered without, um, um, without having to um, form a permanent relationship. It, it was... Um, they wanted what the whites had. They wanted the way of life that the whites provided. They didn't want... Um, to um, defend Aboriginal society. They didn't want the whites to go away. Um, that's not what happened. So they didn't, uh, the, the calling, calling people, they were hunter-gatherers, calling them First Nations is a misnomer, is it not? They were not well, nations it, 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 yeah. in the same sense that our predecessors, we, we would have had ancestors at some stage who were probably hunter-gatherers in Europe and Asia. There were probably hunter-gatherers all around the world, but we don't look back to those times and imagine that they were nations. They were not nations, they were hunter-gatherers. Yeah. And they had a, a society which might not be now considered attractive. We would want to not want to go back. In fact, uh, you, you make the point in chapter three Traditional culture is the problem, not the solution. And you point to some of the instances you've already talked about, about traditional culture, particularly in relation to the treatment of women, which shocked the British when they came here, did it not? Um, it certainly did, and, and they uh, recorded it, um, and they recorded the, the fact that um, Aboriginal husbands or their wives um, had um, no problem about, uh, if they disagreed with a, something a wife was saying or doing, they would uh, hit them over the head with a club, and, uh, and, fra and, and in many cases fracture the skull um, of, of, the, uh, of the wife who, um, who dissented. Um, uh, 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 um, Baron Guru, who was the wife of, or one of the wives of Benelong, um, is, was recorded as being um, you know, laid low by her husband with a with a club in the front of in front of Arthur Philip, um, and um, they, it was not not something the Aborigines did behind um, closed doors. It was something that they felt they had the absolute right to do in public. Uh, it's not as bad as the uh, the British found in India. I mean, what you said before about the uh, British uh, accepting traditional Indian, and that is both Hindu and and uh, Muslim laws in India when they when the British uh, took over. Um, but they they did um, insist that suti, the the, the um, practice in Hindu society of Aboriginal women. Um, uh, 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 well, Aboriginal, women. Aboriginal Hindu sorry, women. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hindu um, uh, widows of, of husbands who had recently died had to die on the um, on the funeral pyre of their husband. Um, that's something that um, the British would have would 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 not have any part with, with. and um, so. Uh, and they insisted on that. But the rest of it, the in laws of inheritance, um, marital acceptance, um, you know, fathers could give their daughters away. They, they accepted all of that. Um, but they, they certainly drew a line on, on the violence. And, and in, this, and in uh, New South Wales, the, um, the same thing happened, although it was, it was much harder to stop um, the, you know, sort of spontaneous 
beating that her husband would, would, would be seen to, to do with, to, with an Aboriginal wife, um, it, it was a bit harder to, to stop and, and, and um, no laws would prevent it, but, um, um, but they tried. This is uh, one of the very important figures in, uh, really in relation to the voice, is Nugget Coombs. Nugget Coombs was appointed originally by the Holt government. And I think we have to really go back to the period of the Holt government, which succeeded the Menzies government. Menzies was the, Sir Robert Menzies was the proponent of the 1967 referendum. And the original bill which he presented to the parliament was to do away with the a provision in the constitution, I think it was section 125, which said that in relation to constitutional matters, the population of, uh, the, the population does not include, or you don't include when you're working out the population, Aboriginal natives, use the term Aboriginal natives, which was taken to mean full blood Aborigines. Now this wasn't a racist provision. This was a provision in the constitution because all of the seats in the House of Representatives were awarded on the basis of population. So in the discussions between the leaders of the states, as we would call them now, the six states, it was decided that there would be a danger for the states or an incentive for the states like Western Australia South Australia and Queensland, which had large Aboriginal populations, mostly nomadic or much of them nomadic, there would be a danger, there would be an incentive to increase the number, to claim that they had more Aboriginal natives, that is nomadic Aboriginals, in their states than they actually had. So it was decided not to include them in calculating the population. Didn't mean they couldn't vote didn't mean they had no rights. All it meant was that in the actual mathematical qualification, the population of Western Australia and South Australia and Queensland and all states did not include full blood Aboriginals, Aborigines. The reason being that the most of them or many of them, particularly in the bigger states, were nomadic. You couldn't, you couldn't work out how many there were and this is why this is sometimes referred to as the census provision. It had nothing to do with the census. It was just for the purposes of allocating seats in the House of Representatives. That was the essential purpose. Now that obviously by 1967 was no longer relevant because there were no longer large numbers of nomadic people in Australia and it was time to get rid of that. But it would also be a, 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 a signal, a signal to the nation that Aborigines were fully part and parcel of the Australian populace. So Menzies put up this referendum and uh, Labor wanted that referendum to also include a federal power to legislate with respect to Aboriginal matters. Until then, it was a state matter, as education is a state matter now. In the, in the formation of this country, some powers became federal, other powers stayed with the states and Aboriginal matters stayed with the states. Labor wanted that to become a federal power. When Menzies stood down and his bill, his bill for referendum expired and they had to have another bill, Holt agreed with Labor to add a power with respect to Aboriginal matters, making laws with respect to Aboriginal matters. Menzies was always opposed to that. And I, I, I understand from uh, Reg Withers who who told me exactly what Menzies said about this. Menzies' argument was, if Canberra had the power to legislate with respect to Aboriginal matters, it would result in an enormous bureaucracy, enormous waste and bureaucracy. Menzies said, you can always do what you want to do to help the Aboriginal people by making grants to the states, conditional grants under section 96 to the states making it a condition that the states do something for the Aboriginal people. You could say, for example, here is a grant in relation to education, but you must ensure that Aborigines stay at school as long as the rest of the population does. You could make all sorts of conditions. And Menzies' view was, 
if you if you had the legislative power in Canberra, it would just result in an, an enormous bureaucracy. And how right Menzies was, but Holt changed it. Holt changed it and slipped that into the into the referendum. Not only not only getting rid of section 125, but adding the legislative power. Then Holt, when he had the power, then appointed Coombs to be in charge of Aboriginal matters. And that resulted in a tragedy, because until then, the policy under Hasluck and others, for example, was assimilation, bringing Aborigines into the general population, treating them the same. And, uh, and Nugget Coombs developed this idea of segregation, segregating the remote communities because they were so utopian. He had this idea that uh, Aboriginal life in the past was utopian. It was like ancient Greece and therefore you, you separated them and you segregated them and you kept them separate. And I think that what, what also made the situation bad in the remote areas, and that's where the problem is today, that's where the gap is. The problem in the remote areas is also exasperated by Whitlam's policy of increasing welfare dependency. And the Aborigines there referred to this as sit-down money, that you didn't have to work, that you would receive welfare money from the state. So the problem we have in Australia is not constitutional. The problem is government policy, which started with Harold Holt and continued with subsequent governments. And I think the only, the only way we will cure this is by attending to the fact that the, the parts of Australia, particularly the remote areas, are becoming increasingly segregated from the rest of Australia. Now, Keith, is, is my understanding, uh, as far as you know, reasonably correct? I, I think it's more than that, David. I think it's spot on. Um, look, the, the, um, the, the assimilation was a policy. It's, it's now a dirty word, assimilation. But it was a policy that treated Aborigines as equal citizens um, it recognised that um, those of them who were in rural areas had, um, had, had not joined the Australian economy. Um, I mean, some of them had. Some of them were, were um, since the 19th century, gained most of their income from, from employment. But there were still uh, large pockets of people who were, who were um, uh, you know, in, in poverty and in, in very poor health. My family, my family came to Australia my maternal uh, side of my family, they came to Australia from what is now Indonesia. They came, they wanted to buy a farm and my grandfather bought a farm. We were assimilated into Australia. We weren't segregated. My grandfather bought a farm out of Blacktown and they, we were completely assimilated into Australian society. We didn't expect and didn't want segregation. The way for all people, the way for society to proceed is complete assimilation. And that is a successful way. And very many Aborigines are completely assimilated into Australian society. The rate of intermarriage is extraordinarily high and they are happy living together in Australia. But it's in the remote areas that we have the particular problem. This problem will not be solved by a voice in the Constitution. A voice, the voice is only going to consist of the old Aboriginal establishment, the, po the political establishment. It will produce more politicians. That's all it will produce. It will not solve the problem of the gap. The problem of the gap will be solved by looking at the segregation in the remote areas of Australia. That's the problem, and only governments can handle that. Yeah, David, look, look the, the, um, the problem was that there was a romantic view that was uh, in the period when, when Holt um, set up the, what, the first Aboriginal voice with Nugget Coombs and a couple of others who, um, who had, the, had the, the sort of role of advising the Commonwealth Government on, on the policy which the 1967 referendum gave the Commonwealth to do. The, um, Nugget Coombs um, initially uh, in that period followed the um, example, which he thought was was terrific, of an of an African um, um, dictator in I think it was Tanzania, um, who had a socialist um, and who was you know funded by Moscow, uh, who had a socialist uh, dream of um, of throwing out the British uh, from colonisation uh, in in his um, in his state and um, establishing a new way of life uh, based on traditional. 
uh, indigenous African culture. Now, that lasted for about two years. Um, he, he was a total failure. He sent the country broke. The country, the, I think the, the, his country was, um, uh, until then, the biggest single exporter of um, goods to uh, the rest of Africa. And it became, it, within two years, the biggest single dependence on welfare from, um, from the rest of the world uh, almost immediately. And, uh, and so they gave, they gave that away. But Nugget Coombs um, in, in inserted into Australian culture the idea that um, we should be um, allowing Aborigines to live their traditional lives, to, um, to, so that they, they would be happier because they have a culture that can't change. They are individuals who, um, who are tied forever to Dreamtime and to um, Aboriginal uh, country. Um, they so, somehow or other get bigger vibes from, um, from the, the country that they walk on than we do. Um, <laughs> um, they're, they're, uh, the whole thing was a, um, a romantic dream that was never going to work. If, if you, you mentioned um, Gough Whitlam and, and, uh, and his um, he, he approved of land, of land rights for Aborigines, and so did uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Fraser after him. But, um, but there's a famous um, scene in, um, in, in Australian politics when, when um, uh, Gough Whitlam poured sand through the hands of, mm -hmm. um, of one of the... Um, one of the Aborigines in, in Central Australia who, um, who received uh, the first land grant. And um, uh, they, they received the land grant, but then immediately abandoned the, that particular land and went to nearby centre where there was um, welfare payments available, sit-down money, and they sat down with their money. They didn't... Um, they didn't develop the land. They didn't do anything about it. They didn't um, go back and and um, and have rituals and um, and uh, initiation ceremonies. They they sat down in white man's territory and lived off welfare. And uh, the whole romantic dream of um, restoring Aboriginal culture and uh, you know I mean we go th we live through this every day we have welcome to country we have acknowledgement of country uh, now it's the the uh, if you go to sc school performances or you go to um, anything to do with education you have to sit through the first 10 minutes where the principal comes along and and um, acknowledges Aboriginal ownership of the territory that we're all allowed to sit on now. Um, it, it goes on and on. Uh, it's, it's, a, 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 it's turned into a religious cult for white people, something that was initially supposed to be the revival of, of um, the religion of uh, a people who plainly did not want it. Well, in this chapter, chapter 13, in which you look at the, the alternative positions, that is peaceful settlement or invasion, you go through it, you go through all the evidence. There is no evidence of an armed resistance, something that would be the equivalent of the uh, Vietnamese resistance, for example. It, there is nothing like that. There are occasional incidents where delinquent uh, bands, or not even bands, people would attack white uh, homesteads but these were isolated incidents. And you point to what Governor King did. Governor King, Governor Philip Gidley King, found the most effective punishment he could impose on Aborigines who misbehaved was to deprive them of the company of British settlers. And he issued a decree that as long as the, the, those who had committed the crimes, and there weren't that many, but there were some where homesteads were attacked, he made it a condition that they could not have the company of British settlers unless and until they handed over those who had committed the, the particular offences. And that worked. It worked very well because there was a tremendous attachment to what you call the accommodation model. It wasn't a it wasn't an invasion, it wasn't a conquest, it was the accommodation because the people voluntarily came in because they saw that it was vastly superior, as no doubt our ancestors would have. Those of our ancestors who were nomadic, wanderers and gatherers, they would have also 
had somebody come along with an advanced civilization which provided food constantly, they would have preferred that to what they had then. This is normal human behavior. And you're quite right, there is this attempt to glamorize something in the past which just did not exist. And Nugget Coombs was the chief offender. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, Harold Holt gave him the authority to apply that. Yes, yeah, that, that's, that's all very true, David. Um, look, there's an, but there's another, a couple of other influences on this. One was the influence of the American civil rights movement. Um, and um, I remember um, when, when uh, in 1968 in the, uh, in the uh, Olympic Games, when um, a couple of um, American athletes, both, both uh, as they're called, they're Negroes, um, they now, now different, what are they called, African-Americans, or the, they changed the title again, but, but um, they uh, held up their hands in a black, a black power salute with um, their fist in the air. And um, at the time, I was, I was a student at university and I cheered them. I thought, terrific, this is, this is really um, making a, a, great, a, a great statement. And, and, and around the world, the, whole, the black power movement became um, a very popular movement amongst young people. And the Aborigines cashed in on that. And, and in fact, they, they played the politics of that very, very, very successfully and, and cleverly by setting up um, a, a tent embassy in Canberra, and the idea that of saying we are a separate country, we will uh, we will have an amb ambassador relationship with you, uh, is something that um, that defined Aborigines as a separate people uh, in their own minds initially amongst a small group of, of leftists, but um, now I think it's 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 a common belief by all Aboriginal people. Um, or, or all Aboriginal people, or Ab Aboriginal descent even, that they are a separate people and they, they do deserve special treatment and, um, and the rest of us should be grateful that they are allowing us to, to, to stay in this country. Um, uh, so um, uh, the, the politics, the international politics, um, well, we also, we also took some ideas from, from Canada um, who, uh, who had uh, m more Aboriginal people than, than the um, uh, North Americans did, proportionate to their total. And the, um, the Canadians uh, um, regarded these people as nations. And the reason why we now call, in fact, some people say the word Aboriginal is offensive, um, but uh, we now call Aboriginal clans uh, First Nations is not some indigenous um, cultural development, it's a, it's a borrowing from, from ca the, the Canadian system, where in fact, they, the, because of the um, treaties that were established in Canada um, a couple of hundred years before, uh, or at least a hundred years before Australia was, um, was settled, um, they, the, um, the local Aboriginal Canadians did have some claim to be separate. Uh, they were not regarded in international law as nations, um, but they were regarded as people um, entitled to a separate treaty. So they, they did have a separate political status. But nothing like that ever happened in Australia. Um, we, we, borrowed we borrowed from um, the American black power movement and from the Canadian uh, movement. And so what, what we're trying to do is insert in, uh, into Australia through our constitutional referendum um, uh, uh, policies that um, of black power from USA and um, First Nations from Canada, and uh, it's, it's all fake. It's all borrowed. It's all um, somebody else's uh, invention. It doesn't. It, it doesn't come inherently from um, Aboriginal culture or Aboriginal uh, politics at all. You make the point, a very important point, uh, in your list of myths. You've got 15 myths. You make the point that the Constitution is nothing more than an agreement between six self-governing states to form themselves into a single federation. It's not a birth certificate, it's not a history lesson, it's not a foundation stone, and uh, it's being misused for the purpose of recognition. But we did, in fact, in 1999, at the time of the Republic referendum, there was a second referendum, and that referendum was one to include a new preamble. There's an existing preamble to the British Constitution Act drafted here, the whole act, including the Constitution is, a, is part of a British Act of Parliament. 
The whole thing was drafted here and approved here in referendums. And there's a, there's a, a preamble to the British Act, which says, whereas the people of the several states, humbly relying on the blessings of Almighty God, have agreed to unite in an indissoluble federal commonwealth under the crown and under the constitution. That's the, the, the best wording that you can find in the Australian constitution, but it's not in the constitution itself, it's in the British Act. The proposal was in 1999 under the Howard government, that as well as the Republic referendum, there'd be a second referendum, and that would be to put a new preamble into that part of the British Act, which is our constitution, which is section nine of the British Act. And that included the recognition of the Aboriginal people as, uh, as being in Australia at the time of settlement. It went no further than recognition. And it, it was rejected, overwhelmingly rejected in every state of Australia, bigger rejection than the Republican referendum. So we've been through this, we've had the question of constitutional recognition. It was put to the Australian people, and for some reason they decided that they weren't interested in this rather innocuous referendum. It may have been, it may have been, that they were suspicious of the High Court. The High Court uh, sometimes seems to decide that it's going to develop all sorts of things which were never intended. For example, there are aspects of the Constitution which the High Court has interpreted which were never intended, not part of the original intention. But what, what we had after that was a series of attempts to put in different parts, different, different new clauses in the Constitution about Aboriginal matters. And there were about four proposed changes that would never have been got through. And uh, I remember Tony Abbott, who was then Prime Minister, came to a conference of Australians for constitutional monarchy and called on ACM as the fiercest defenders of the Constitution. He said that. He said he called on us to support Aboriginal recognition. I had to deliver the vote of thanks and I said, well, I think that rather than our supporting constitutional recognition, the Australian people should be brought in from the beginning in this issue. There should be a convention in which the Australian people are asked their views on this and other constitutional issues before a referendum is put to the people. So we put, a, we put in a, a submission to the relevant committee which was looking at the proposed changes to the constitution uh, and uh, we put in a submission which included a proposal for a convention on the issue. Well, after that, the question of a convention seemed to be taken up and a convention was held at Uluru, as you know, but it wasn't a convention of the Australian people. It was a convention of, uh, of a number of uh, representatives, often, I don't know how they were chosen, of uh, a number of Aboriginal people, and that came up with the Uluru Statement. It wasn't a general provision. And this, this has resulted in the, the proposal for uh, not any recognition, but for the voice, which is having tremendous, creating tremendous legal debates with many of those who supported it, now coming out against the Prime Minister and saying he's wrong and that this voice will have an impact which he is denying. And uh, the, the, we also learned from uh, Professor Craven, who was always a strong defender of the voice, he says that uh, what's being proposed is a terrible provision. He will vote for it by, while holding his nose. And he, he said that uh, when uh, the Attorney General came to a meeting of the Aboriginal Committee, they tried to persuade them to change the voice so that there, wasn't, there weren't some of these provisions which could endanger the good government of Australia. He was told, this is the Attorney General of Australia, he was told he was overreaching himself. And Professor Craven said in last Saturday's Australian that there were threats made, threats made to the government about this. And the government then keeled over completely and agreed to what was being put about the voice. We have an extraordinary thing going on. And we have uh, in today's Australian supporters of The Voice, Professor Toomey and Professor Williams, uh, pointing out that the Prime Minister is not presenting The Voice 
in, with the effect that it will have constitutionally. There's all sorts of confusions about this. The whole thing, of course, is absolutely ridiculous. The problem of the gap is, is a problem which the government has to solve, but they will only solve by taking policies which break up the idea of segregation and uh, adopt assimilation. They just really have to assimilate. Everybody has to be assimilated. We all have to be assimilated. Yeah. David, can I just go back to one of the early points you, you made about the 1999 referendum, um, if you, which was to change the uh, preamble. Um, I mean, one of the reasons that I argued that um, the, the, the failure of that was a good thing was because um, you, it, the uh, High Court judges in the past have treated the preamble as part of the Constitution, not something separate, not something that can't be exploited for, um, for, uh, to make decisions. But, but, um, but, the, but the most important thing that that, um, that um, preamble, um, uh, the case for, for a preamble change uh, made was it said the um, Aborigines were the first peoples of the nation, uh, the nation's first peoples, to be pre quite precise, um, and uh, they should be recognised as part of the um, part of the population. Now, <clears throat> the nation, the Aborigines were not the nation's first people. They were the pe first people on the continent. They were they they um, the continent, which was which now is these days called Sahul, which was a much larger continent than than it is today. It included included New Guinea and Tasmania as part of the one mainland, um, but. Um, um, the uh, the Australian nation was created in 1901, and so if you look at who were around in in, in uh, 1901, there were there were uh, ab there's an Aboriginal population, there were British, there were Germans, there were Chinese. In fact, the Chinese were the uh, apart from the um, the British Isles, the Chinese were the second biggest population. No one ever says, oh, we should recognise the Chinese. Um, and in fact, if you look at um, at the, the history of uh, Australia before the British got here, there were regular visits by Muslims from, um, from um, uh, what's now Indonesia, um, from the, uh, uh, who, um, who came to Australia seasonally to um, get Besh from the from the seafloor. Um, they, uh, uh, they could have some claim as being uh, among the First Nations as well, um, if, if, they, if they wanted to. Um, but the, uh, on the basis of the sort of myths that have been uh, um, saddled this the, in, in this debate for, in the past. Um, uh, it, I was I was surprised that um, that uh, John Howard could even fall for that idea that the first peoples of the nation were the Aborigines. Um, there were there were there was no single group that could be decided could be described as a, as. Um, um, here before others in, in 1901. We've had, um, we had people who were born here who were white and black and people who have come here from other countries who are white and black and um, it, all that sort of stuff should be utterly irrelevant to what the Constitution is all about. Your problem, uh, Keith, is you're precise and what you say about uh, that provision is absolutely accurate. There was no nation until 1901. You are absolutely right. And uh, the first people were the people who happened to be here in 1901, who were from all sorts of uh, countries around the world, including those who were born here. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. And uh, there was a misnomer in that. Uh, uh, some of us were prepared to look beyond it. I think Tony Abbott has proposed another change, another preamble, uh, and that is uh, uh, with a, we are with, I think, an Aboriginal heritage? Or is it no, no? Well, that, that was Tony's view. Um, yes. And if you read the Australian lately, he, he's, he's strongly opposed to the current, um, yes. the current proposal. But, but, he, but he, when he was Prime Minister, he did say, in fact, the person who invented the, the sort of tripartite view of Australian population was actually Nugget Coombs. Um, in another of his romantic m m movements, he said that Australia is composed of the Ab Aborigines, the three groups, Aborigines, the British, and the uh, immigrants from um, post-1945. Um, <clears throat> they're, they're the three groups who, who, compose the, who compose the nation. But in fact, the, um, the, the, they're the people on the, uh, the immigration, or to the, because the original Aborigines were immigrants. Um, we're all, immig we're all der derived from immigrants. Um, the, the, um, the, 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 um, they were all 
uh, people from uh, on inhabitants of the continent, but they were not inhabitants of the nation until 1901. And and um, I've I've got you know made that point a dozen times in my book, but um, it doesn't seem to have any have any impact. But it's true. Before you go, uh, you you've contributed significantly to the history of this matter in your publications, The Fabrication of Aboriginal History, in your regular contributions in Quadrant, but above all in this book. And uh, I strongly recommend that if anybody wants to know anything about the background of the voice, the breakup of Australia is the book to read. And it's written, although you, you come to conclusions to which you're entitled, but your your historical process, the process you adopt in relation to establishing facts is impeccable because you always go back to the original sources as far as you can and you present them and you present those which, which may well go against your case, but then you balance the whole lot. And I think that's, that's the way an historian should approach his work. So I would like to thank you very much for your contribution today and uh, say to our, our uh, viewers, don't forget this book, The Breakup of Australia, which can be obtained from Quadrant. Is Quadrant the right place to go to for that? Well, we have an online site. You can buy it online. Uh, there's a few bookshops that have it. But it, 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 the book came out in 2016, and um, um, there's, there's not many in, in bookshops. Well, we, we've got plenty uh, of stock in, in the Quadrant office, uh, and it can be purchased online. Yes. Well, and quadrant.org, is it? Uh, you, yeah, if, if you just um, Google quadrant, you'll get, um, yeah, it's quadrant.org.au. Yes. Yeah. Well, once again, congratulations on that book. Congratulations on the contribution you make towards the truth. And it's so important that a decision is made by the Australian people on the basis of the truth, true facts, and also of the consequences because you warn of the real agenda of those who are pushing Aboriginal reconciliation, which, as the title of the book says, it is the breakup of Australia, the formation of a separate state, at least, and a treaty which is inappropriate between people within a nation state, but uh, that's the situation. So once again, thank you very much. And I'll conclude the and wind up uh, this session and uh, say to our viewers, thank you for watching and until next time.